Hello there. You are listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. My name is Will Love, and I'm the girls' basketball coach in Sandpoint. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about coaching basketball and to grow and celebrate the game in Idaho. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Coaching Idaho. Now, let's talk some basketball. I'm excited to have one of the state's rising young coaches on the podcast today. Andy Harrington is the boys' coach at Middleton High School. Harrington led the Vikings to the third-place trophy at this year's 4A state tournament. Coach Harrington, thanks for talking some basketball with us. How's it going? Doing good, Coach. Uh, doing good, Will. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been following your guys' podcasts. I think I've listened to all of them. Um, so it's been fun to, fun to listen to these other coaches across the state, and I'm glad that I'm on here today. I'm excited. First off, I want to talk to you about uh, the uh, the 4A state tournament. Um, you guys played and beat two SIC teams, and then you lost to the champion, Preston, in the semifinals. So I kind yeah. of have two questions related to that. First off, what are your thoughts on the tournament setup? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been the big topic going around. Um, you know, I mean, it was – it was a it was a good state tournament. Obviously, we won our first game against BK, and they were playing great down the stretch. Um, and then to turn around and play Preston, um, it was electric. I I mean, the game it was sold out. There were people being turned away. It was back and forth the entire way. Um, we had a shot go out off the rim at the buzzer, didn't drop. They won by one, and they ended up winning state. But um, it was a great game. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, you know, I mean, I know the the big question and debate obviously is should it have been the championship? You know, I think that it's interesting. I you know, all year we were one and two. We flip flopped. We went down and beat them at their place, and we were one for a long time. And then we ended up losing a close game to Cuna, so then they jumped us again. But kind of all year you had that feeling of okay, we because you look at the bracket and you're going, you you can kind of figure it out. So. We knew if we both won our district tournaments, we're going to play in that semifinal. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it was a, a it was a great game that didn't get to get played in the Idaho Center for saying no disrespect to uh, Moscow and C- or CUNA. But uh, at the same time, you know, who knows? I mean, if we would have won, we might be a lot happier and perfectly okay with the result. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I would have liked to have played them in, on Saturday just, Saturday just for our kids to get that experience of being in an Idaho center. Um, but Hey, Preston made one more point than we did. And uh, they obviously deserve to win that game. So credit to them. All right. Uh, just a follow-up question on the actual game. I was just kind of interested. Um, what, what did you, you lost, but I mean, you were a bucket away from playing for a state championship. So what did you tell your team after the loss? And then I was a little bit, um, I was wondering like, what did you tell the team, you know, like a couple days later? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was tough. We Going into that locker room, I mean, our goal, we, we don't set necessarily goals at Middleton. I mean, it's more just we want to play the best that we can play. Um, but obviously, inside that locker room, we knew if we could play at a high level, we had a chance of winning the whole thing. So the kids were disappointed. The staff was disappointed after that game. I mean, when we went in there, it was silent for a few minutes or so because everyone was sad. I mean, guys were obviously upset. 
but just, you know, telling them it's one of the greatest seasons Middleton basketball's ever had. And, you know, we, I think that we've got a lot of momentum in our program and those four seniors, especially have played a huge part in getting us to even that point. I mean, obviously it wasn't the outcome that we wanted, but it was still a phenomenal season. And we, and we had something to play for the next day. I know we wanted to play in the Idaho center, but we were going to have to find a way to regroup so we could come home with a trophy, just something to show for, for that season. And it, it was tough. That third place game is a really tough game to play in. And we came out definitely really lethargic. We were, we, we kind of turned it on in that second half and found a way, but I mean, yeah, I was just, you know, I'm super proud of you guys. I love you guys. This has been an awesome year. You have nothing to hang your hat, head on. And, you know, we're going to find a way tomorrow. So. One of the things that's come up uh, just recently is that the state is actually in the process of kind of changing the seating. So just some thoughts on that. What do you think about a seating system? And then also, you know, the state's looking specifically at using the max preps uh, ratings. And I know that some people have some opinions on that. So just your thoughts there. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Mike McLean and I were on a committee, uh, Mike McLean from Post Falls. We've been on a committee that was kind of playing around with different things in terms of how we should go about the state tournament, how we can make it better to seed the state tournament so you avoid matchups, matchups like that or Timberlake, Sugar Salem on the girls' side in the first round or whatever. And, you know, we really delved into the max preps because it's just – it's a system that people want to try or whatever. And I'll be honest, like, I, I, there's a lot of layers to the max preps. I know Coach McLean and I were definitely not quite in favor of the max preps just in the sense of, like I said, I mean, you've, you've got to realize that there's no eye test. There's, it's a computer algorithm. I mean, scheduling is a huge, huge factor. There's a, I don't, I mean, we could spend, shoot, if we got Mike on here, we could spend 45 minutes talking about it. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting in the sense that, I mean, it values wins and then point differential and so on, but it's not quite putting a value in going on the road and winning or, you know, I beating a 5A compared to a 3A. It just comes down to however many wins those teams have. So if you're standpoint and you beat a 2A or 3A, and no, not some of those teams are really good, but if you beat them and they have 20 wins, your ranking is going to be significantly higher than if you beat a Bora who maybe gets third place over here that has four less wins. So in that sense, it puts a huge value on winning over quality of competition in some senses. And so, you know, I just, I, I, I just hate to see it not be, if we're going to change it, I just feel like some sort of committee, in my opinion, work coaches and maybe a media member or two that are involved in the entire season that follow it um, would be the best outcome personally. And when we talk about those layers, I mean, there's conference in our state that only have four conference games so they're getting 17 non-conference games well if you which I mean I'm sure it's going to happen I, I might look into it if I had the opportunity I mean if you schedule correctly you can schedule yourself into a one seed and I know like for example up north I know the four A's and five A's are all forced to play each other twice now I mean you know not to say that Moscow Moscow is really good this year but if Moscow has to play post falls twice and Lake City twice and Coeur d'Alene twice and they might not quite have as many wins as some of the teams over here, yet their quality of schedule is more difficult. Um, so it does concern me in the fact that you might get some good teams that are underseeded, and you might get some teams that are not quite as good that are overseeded just because they have more wins. But 
I mean, we could go on for days. I mean, there's a lot that plays into it um, in terms of seat scheduling outside the state too. So, yeah, you know, I, I do want to give the state credit for thinking outside the box or, you know, for, for our state for thinking outside the box. Um, sure. you know, I know several states already uh, seed their tournaments. So, you know, I, I've felt that that's something that we, we need to do because we've had some cases where, you know, the best teams actually meet in the, in the first round. But on the other hand, as you bring up, you know, there's a lot of uh, variation throughout the state on, on who we get to play. And so for, we're, Sandpoint is one of those schools that has four league games yeah. against the 4A. But we now have to play all of our 5A, uh, I guess, cousins who are also in our league. We have to play them twice. And so, you know, it's and, – and those are some really, really good teams. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're going to have a um, probably a record that, it, I, I don't know, maybe not indicative of where we're at in the 4A levels. So yeah. It, it'll be interesting. Well, that's going to be the, that'll raise the same question if, you know, you guys are a really good 4A level team. If you're the five or six seed or even higher, that is going to hurt the two seed too. So it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm glad that they're making the change and I'm intrigued to see what they do with it. I just, I'm really in favor of a committee. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm just fearful that we're going to get the same situation that we already have. So, yeah. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, your program, all right? And, uh, you know, so kind of breaking this down. And and so I want to go through some culture questions, and then we'll get to some X's and O's a little bit later. But uh, one of the things I was interested about in your program is how you try to involve the entire program in different aspects of what you do. So, for example, all three teams stretch together before practices, and then everybody in the program celebrates a win. Like, everybody comes into the locker room to celebrate a Middleton win. Why was that important for you? I was fortunate enough to coach at College of Idaho for a season with um, Scott Garson and Colby Blaine. And they just, one of the things that we always did after every win was go in the locker room and we'd go crazy. And it didn't matter if it was a team that was 10 games under 500 or an undefeated team. I mean, it was just more the fact that like helping the kids understand like winning is difficult and we don't want to get bored of winning. We need to celebrate every time because it's hard and it's a reward. And then with the stretching, I just, we, and this would be hard. I mean, a lot of schools don't have the resources to do this. We have three courts. We have the main gym and then two courts right above us on each side. So for us, we can practice at the same time. Um, and I just wanted to give our program a sense of the freshmen to the seniors. They had that, that unit, they were, they were connected in a sense of we're working together every day at the start. Um, we're stretching together. We're in lines. We're high-fiving. They kind of run their own stretches after a certain point. And then we always try to do two or three drills together. Just, you know, if my seniors in a group with my freshmen, they look up to those guys. And I want my freshmen to act like, act like my juniors and seniors when they're that age. And so the more that they can be around those guys, the better it is for, our, for the growth of our program. So. That's kind of the thought behind that. That's a very cool thing that you uh, that you do. One of the things that's uh, probably interesting about your program is that if if like coaching staffs played uh, basketball, <laughs> like I'm 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 guessing you guys would be a pretty high seed. Um, with that said, you're kind of a a young coaching staff. Yeah. So um, how has that helped you as a coach? And then. Yeah. 
on the opposite and how has that maybe hurt you in some ways? Yeah. Um, you know, I, all of our guys are, like you said, pretty young. I mean, me, my assistant, Marcus Graham, who's 27, um, and Nick Warnicky, our frost soft coach, are 27. We have two younger guys than us, and our, our JV coach, Shawnee Holmger, is, I think, 30. So um, outside of that, my, my dad coaches, and he does a great job. He's, he's older. But, yeah, we have a ton of young guys. Um, and I think the one really beneficial thing in that sense is the kids connect. or I feel like there's more of a connection for the kids because we can relate to them when it comes to social media, when it comes to Twitter, Instagram, or the new rapper, basketball, or there's just more of a, the age gap is less. So I feel like we can talk to those kids more and they can talk to us about those things, you know, a a relationship at school or anything like that. There's just, we were there less than 10 years ago. So I understand what they're going through. Um, And I think that they get that. Now on the flip side, I mean, with our inexperience in coaching, I mean, there's things, Obviously, even this year in the state semifinals, I mean, there's a few things that I feel like I could have done a better job of that Tyler Jones, who's been one four out of five, I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. That experience definitely helped them. That's just something I feel like over time you learn and you you take things and you keep evolving. But outside of just being young, I don't, you know, I don't know how necessarily to correct that. But we have a lot of energy at practice. Our guys are going up and down. We're, we're, we're talking to them. We're communicating. We're loud. We're energetic. And I think that the kids really enjoy that. So what's it like coaching with your dad? It's awesome. I mean, growing up, my dad spent a lot of time taking my brother and I and my sister out to do, to throw the football, to hit. I mean, we spent countless hours working on batting practice and obviously basketball too. So, Growing up, he was our coach until about a certain point, seventh or eighth grade, and then he kind of passed us off. But, you know, sports are, were a huge part of our family. So being able to get him involved and having him on my staff, I mean, he does a phenomenal job with a lot of things that go unseen in terms of just giving us guidance on how to handle a situation with a player, a parent meeting, or, hey, this is a good idea, but also I don't know if we should do this because of this appearance with a certain whatever. Um, And he was a teacher for 30 plus years over here in the Boise School District. So he has a lot of experience when it comes to that type of stuff, which we really need and have used very, very, very often. So I wanted to ask you this question because I know another role you have is with uh, Select. And so um, I remember in my past life as a reporter, I remember talking to a coach about, uh, I don't know, just basketball. And the yeah. idea of club basketball came up and, and, and this coach uh, was not, not thrilled with it. Uh, said that that's uh, causing some problems and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And so how do you now balance what you need your kids to learn for the Middleton system with what they might be doing for their club team? You know, it's interesting. I mean, we have these debates all the time. I think that, and I'm not trying to pump up select or anything. I think we do a really good job of developing the kids and we I mean, we're working with high school level kids. We're not going down into the youth. So um, a lot of our coaches are college or high school coaches that are very, very experienced. And we're trying to teach them the game. I mean, we don't have enough time with our wide base. I mean, Select is pulling from Idaho and Montana. And I mean, Mike McLean's kid is coming down to play for us this year. So we're getting kids from all over the state, Wyoming. Um, So 
we don't have necessarily as much time to practice throughout the week, but when we get together, we're trying to teach them concepts that um, they can use when they go back to their high school teams. I mean, sets is one thing. We don't do a lot of that. I mean, it's more making reads, understanding the game, how to rotate, how, how to block out, how to guard a guy, making the extra pass. Those are the things that we're really emphasizing. So for me, it's, it's a, to push my kids to play select um, in the sense that they might not be running the exact system that we run, but they're getting all the right, they're getting taught the right things that are going to translate back when they come back with us, as well as they're hearing a different voice. And they're voices that I trust. I mean, Colby Blaine coaches with us, Shelby Lindley, Derek Selvig over in Montana. Um, so there's a ton of good coaches. And like I was, I was on the phone with Mike McClain earlier today. I'm like, I mean, shoot, Preston runs a set every time down. Coach McClain's running a continuous ball screen offense. I mean, there's different ways to win. So it's good for the kids to learn those different concepts. And then we kind of mold them together. But I will say, I mean, there's a lot of AU organizations that do it a lot differently. And I know that AU sometimes gets a bad rep. And sometimes I feel like that's a little unfair if you're in a really good program. So, Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the big thing is that they're getting reps, you know, and getting mm-hmm. opportunities to uh, to compete. So if, you know, if a kid can find the right system, it's 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 just going to benefit them. And as you said, there's different ways to, to coach out there. And so the kids yeah. need to get used to that. Well, and one other thing, Will, just yeah. along with that, I think that Idaho is different than Los Angeles. I mean, Idaho, you're not getting a lot of schools that are coming directly into Idaho to watch kids play. So they need to go out and get that exposure. We need AU for that reason. And then the other thing is just with the rule of two, our kids are going to go play. And so if they're going to go play, I mean, if it's a good organization, and like you said, they're getting the reps that they need. Um, and it's something that we quite can't provide at certain times during the year. Back when your sister was played at Bishop Kelly, you know, that was one of the things that we identified was that uh, Sandpoint kids just had not played enough basketball to really compete at that state level. We're still getting there um, now, and we don't want to um, go overkill on that. Um, yeah. But I know that it has been very helpful for the kids that our kids that have been part of a, a, a club program. So absolutely. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you want to do during the summer and what you're actually doing this summer. Yeah. So typically, I mean, a normal summer, the moment and we're, when the season ends, we give them a few weeks. Um, we, we do optional open gyms from there. I mean, if the kids want to come in, which we don't have a lot of spring sport kids. So we do a lot of open gym um, and we get a good turnout. But once that graduation hits and the rule twos up, I mean, we'll start practicing. It, we work a lot with football. We have a lot of football kids. So we'll stagger and we'll work around their times and they work around us. They do a great job with that. But we try to practice. I mean, we break our kids up in the, the level that we think that they're going to be at. And we're, we're obviously spending a ton of time on skill, but we practice. And then generally we'll look at playing in four weekend tournaments. There's a few locally that are really good. Um, College of Idaho and Rocky Mountain one. And we were doing, we were planning to go down to Preston for their first weekend. Um, and then, we usually try to end the summer with some sort of team camp. We always go, we've gone to Gonzaga the last two years. And that's really advan- uh, advantageous for us in the sense that we load the kids up in a big van and we actually were able to bring our JV2, so two vans. But we pack them in and we go up there and they're away from home. They're away from mom and dad and their girlfriend and whatever else. And we're just getting to know each other more and competing up there. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I love ending summer that way. But 
I try to treat it like a smaller season just so we can get as many concepts in as possible. So, I mean, we're trying to take advantage of it for sure. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, how much practice do you get in? I would say a lot of those tournaments are Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm -hmm. So I would say Monday through Wednesday. I mean, we're, we're practicing probably two hours. And then I would say before Gonzaga, we try to go, maybe we might go that Saturday, depending on when Gonzaga starts. Sometimes it's Monday through Thursday, just so we're prepared and sharp for that. But I mean, we're getting in a good amount of time, not as much as the season would look like, but yeah, I mean, we've got enough kids that want to do it. So we just, we try to make the gym available. All right. I want to move on to some X's and O's with you. First, I want you to talk a little bit about uh, what you do offensively. And so some of your motion concepts that you run, what are the typical actions that you uh, run and then who kind of influenced your style of play? Yeah. So just to go along with that first growing up, I mean, I went to Bishop Kelly. I played for Bishop Kelly. Larry Crump was my head coach and he was a big uh, motion guy. And then when I was coaching with both select and college of Idaho, college of Idaho, we ran a ton of motion five out concepts. And then our select program, Colby Blaine, who coaches our 16 U team and that one of our 16 U teams. And then Clint Hordeman, our director is a big motion guy. So being around them and watching their teams play and just growing up around it, we, we've run a ton of motion. And what I mean by that is, I mean, we're trying to, we're not four round one motion. It's more of a, a five out trying to identify matchups that we can attack a lot of curl, a lot of curl and replace, just reading how your guy's guarding you um, with the proper spacing. Now, obviously, like my first two years ago, we had a, we had two big kids, one going to see by this year, Tyler Robinette, and then last year, guard Memoir, who's going to play football up at Washington. So, I mean, we ran motion that was more, hey, if we're in the half-court setting, let's try to enter it to the post through motion and then play out of that from there. So we try to morph it around what our, what our guys are best at. But, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to give them that freedom to move the ball and play and attack. That's been what we've been doing a lot the last two years. Uh, you were telling me that, uh, that you're starting to consider a, a change in what you're doing and, and go into a more set-based system. My first question is, is why? Yeah. Watching some of the more successful programs in the state, and, and you learn a lot. I mean, college to high school is a huge jump. And so giving those guys that free flowing mentality is really effective, especially at the college level, because you've got five guys that can do a lot of things at a high level. Um, But once you get down to the high school, it's not quite the same. So, you know, I've had a chance to really, I've watched press in a ton. I mean, they've won four out of five and they, when they get in the half court setting are running a set every time down. And it just made me really think about how maybe at times motion, you might not get your best player of the ball quite often as much as you would if you were running a set every time in the half court. Now, you know, I, I don't want to make our guys robots. I don't want to be stagnant. I want to be able to run and move the ball. But I think when you get in those half court settings, I was listening to Ryan Lundgren talk about this too on your podcast. Mm-hmm. I think running it to one of your better players to put them in an advantageous situation is something that I feel like we need to do to do more. You know, we, we've been really good at defense the last two years and our offense hasn't been quite a championship level offense. And so I just, you know, as you go and as you grow, you, you learn about different things and it's something that we're definitely looking into trying. Yeah. You know, I, 
feel the same way about my program. We run a lot of motion stuff and let the kids get uh, decide, and and it works well for us during the season. Uh-huh. But at state, it always seems to be a little bit different, and there's that yeah. team that just figures it out, and you know, and, yeah. and able to stop you, and if they can stop you once. That might be just enough uh, to do it, but uh, yeah. it'd be nice to have some options. So, so tell me about the process you went or are going through to make these decisions. So, like. How are you working with your staff? How are you going to teach this to the kids and stuff like that? Yeah, so we, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about it for a while. I think that we have a group chat, so we communicate in that. And then if one of us sees like a set online where we're like, hey, this might be good for player A, we kind of just, I mean, a few of my coaches and I are on Twitter, and there's always things on Twitter that we see where we'll share it to each other. Um, and we, we have a Google spreadsheet that we use that we're kind of, pulling things over and hey this might be good you know I think the one thing with the sets is we're not trying to trick you I mean we're not trying to we're not trying to create a backdoor play that just we get a wide open layup on I mean I think those are the plays that you can really scout I'm just trying to put some of our better players in positions where they can be successful so year to year that's going to change I mean our JV has different players than our varsity so different sets are going to work different for those guys than the varsity guys, but we're definitely, we've put together a nice little playbook that I think we're going to start practicing here. I think probably Monday we'll start inputting a lot of that stuff, but year to year, it's going to change. It just depends on your personnel. Yeah. I was uh, just kind of thinking about, you know, the conversation that I had with uh, coach McLean and how, you know, he's looking, he's sixth grade. He knows what they're going to run and stuff yeah. like that. So you're going to do the same thing with the sub varsity teams and just kind of build with what, what their strengths are. Yeah, we're, we, I mean, we really identify the younger guys who we think is going to develop and who needs to develop and what their strengths are. So we're going to use that system. They might, we might give them a little more freedom just to continue to learn how to play in five out situations, but we'll definitely start getting in that direction. I know talking to some of those Preston guys, I mean, they're JV and varsity are practicing so they can go at each other when they run that stuff because. I mean, my guys are smart enough where if we call out a play at practice and you got five on five, they're going to go, hey, they know right away. So just trying to think of ways where we can input that stuff without having to worry about our guys already being ahead of the curve. But yeah, no, it's definitely something that we're going to toy with. It's unfortunate this summer's a lot different, so we can try it as much as we would have liked to in the tournaments where you get seven, eight games, you know, so... Yeah, I think uh, you make a good point is, you know, when you go to kind of a set-based system, one, it's how do you do it without your, you know, your kids knowing exactly what's going to happen and, you know, figuring out ways to kind of trick them and stuff like that. And then also, you know, the, is your seventh, eighth, ninth person at the same level as a kid, you know, Preston's second, third or fourth person. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, something to keep in mind. Um, so want to move a little bit to defense because, as you said, um, that's kind of, uh, I guess, your bread and butter a little bit the last couple of years. So this is kind of a, a chicken or the egg question. So uh, you've been one of the best 4A level uh, at the 4A level when it comes to scoring defense. Is uh-huh. this because of the emphasis you place on it or is it because of your personnel? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, at the end of the day, it, <laughs> It goes hand in hand with Clint Hordeman, who's our select basketball director, always says, I mean, you can have the most intricate plays in the world, but if your guys can't pass, catch, shoot the ball, and make it, it they aren't going to work. So, I mean, we definitely have had 
we've been blessed with good players that can guard the ball and rotate and do those types of things. But um, we've also really tried to put an emphasis on it being our calling card. We just, we feel like if you're able to guard and rebound at a high level, you have a chance to win every game, um, whether your shots are going in and in or out. So um, I think it's a little bit of both. You have to have good players for sure. Um, and you have to have athletes that helps. But at the same time, you have to practice it a ton and really emphasize it too. So one of the things I know that you do at a high level is scout other teams. Yeah. So take me through that process of what your staff does to scout an opponent. And then what are the kids seeing once you, once you put that information together? Sure. So generally we'll watch and with huddle. It's so advantageous because everyone's you just, you, you can get your hands on any film nowadays. Um, so we'll try to watch once you get halfway through the season, I'll watch one or two or three games of the team that we're going to play. I'll try to watch probably their two most recent games and then maybe a game earlier in the year if a guy was hurt or a game versus us early in the year just to see kind of what they were doing then and what they're doing now. And then from there, I'll generally we'll build a, we'll build a personnel-based film. So basically the kids will come in, they'll have a sheet of paper. Um, and I took a lot of this for College of Idaho, but the personnel will be listed and I'll have the kids read off like number zero or in our conference, our kids know all the other kids. So, hey, Sean, Casey Wright, read about Sean Austin. And it'll say, you know, three of his tendencies, you know, hey, he's a three-point shooter. He likes to jab right and go left. He's very good at finishing around the rim, whatever it is. You know, for for a kid that can't shoot, we we highlight his name in red. He's a non-shooter. If he's a really high-level shooter, he's got a green around his name, so green light. Um, we just try to kind of go through the, those guys and talk about what they're really good at. And then from there, we'll kind of go into two or three things two or three things they do offensively really well that they're trying to do. And then also defensively, you know, Hey, Bishop Kelly's running a two, three this year. So here's how we're going to attack it. Or, um, you know, Tina's running his own, but they're running jumping and this kind of stuff. And we'll go through that. And then it actually goes by pretty quick in terms of the paper. And then we'll flip on the film and they'll see, you know, depending on the quality of the player, seven or eight reps of what exactly what that kid is doing. You know, if he's a shooter, it's, him making six threes and going, this guy is a shooter. We cannot let him shoot. And then going through all the way down. And then it, we'll go through a few of their baseline out of bounds plays and talk about them. We'll, if they have a set that I'm really concerned about, we'll, we'll go through that. We'll show them, you know, BK zone this year was really good. So they're, they're jumping wing, jumping passing lanes and stuff. So we showed the kids, Hey, you got to look, he's, he's playing, he's really over, he's really aggressive over there. You got to be aware of that. Usually it takes about 25 or 30 minutes with that. I mean, we try to not throw an hour's worth at them because it's a lot. But, yeah, I mean, that's really the breakdown. We really try to find guys that can't shoot. And, and to be honest, sometimes we don't even guard them. You made a few adjustments this past year on the defensive end uh, because of some early results. Tell me what went into that change. Like, why did you decide to do it? And when did you know, hey, we, we got to do something a little bit different? Yeah, I mean the first our first year we were we did not feel we didn't want to get out and deny and pressure and those types of things. We felt we had, and everyone's going to more of the pack line style gap defense stuff. So we were a lot of that, just being really really smart about how we guarded the ball and trying to push them as far out as possible. But 
this past year early in the season um and we and we had, we were fortunate we had a lot of talent this year we went down to twin falls and they run a very patient offense and we did not play very well and they played very well and so and us not playing very well was a credit to them they played they outplayed us but they run a very very patient offense that sometimes could be two two and a half minutes if they're if we're guarding correctly um and they're smart they don't take bad shots so we were sitting in our gaps and they're just boom moving it moving it moving it and you're going okay they're going to take a bad one well they don't take a bad one and they finally would get a shot that they would like and they take it and they make it sometimes so after that game we just were like man we've got to find a way to speed the game up um so this doesn't happen anymore so we went more to being trying to get out and pressure more in the half court and get on the wings and we added some presses that at, and you know as well as I do, when you get to the end of the season, pressing is not anywhere near as effective as it is early in the year. But we try to just speed teams up in that sense. Instead of just being patient, keeping the ball in front, we were out guarding guys aggressively, switching, um, trying to get them to drive into our bigs and stuff. So, yeah, it was definitely a learning experience. Without a shot clock, the game's a lot different. Yeah. And so that kind of leads me into my uh, next question. Something that you, you kind of brought up was the idea of zone and your thoughts yeah. on, on that. And then also, you know, why do you guys not play a whole lot of zone? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, look, I'm not an anti-zone guy. I like zone. I mean, my year at College of Idaho we, is the first year that they started running their 2-3 and we were very, very effective with it. So when I got to the high school level, we played around with it. But the thing that scares me is zone is not the zone itself. It's more the sense of the shot clock. I mean, if, if you're behind, you're running as you're relying on a zone. Well, most teams are smart. I mean, shoot, I would, if I'm up eight in the fourth quarter and they're sitting in a zone, why wouldn't I just hold the ball? Um, and we, we just feel that to not get in those situations where if you are behind, you're now you're scrambling. We want to be prepared to be able to handle those situations with a man to man. So, we just really emphasize guarding the ball. I mean, the things that we do f- defensively are not anything like crazy. Um, it's just more being super disciplined. I mean, we, we guard the ball. We try to keep the ball in front of us, but we also don't try to foul shooters. Um, we don't gamble. We don't reach. We don't try to jump passing lanes and now a guy's driving a closeout or whatever. So we do those types of things. I'm not telling anyone that zone is the wrong thing because Shoot, I mean, Creston plays some zone, and they've won four out of five. So I think that you definitely need zone, but just relying on zone in itself scares me in that sense. Now, if there was a shot clock, it might be a different scenario. Um, but without the shot clock, I just I just get into a kind of a panic mode with, oh, gosh, we haven't been practicing very much man, and now we've got to go guard them and pressure them, and our rotations aren't as sharp and those types of things. So. That's kind of why we have never just fully committed to one thing or the other. Um, yeah, so. so you do run some zone after timeout. So what are you typically trying to do um, there? What's what's kind of your thinking when 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 you do call for for a zone? Yeah, so we I mean we have some really good coaches across the state, and they run some good stuff. So out of timeouts, I try to mix in a zone or I try to trap the first pass or something to give them a different look. So whatever they prepared in that timeout um, is not what they prepared. The other thing is I like when I'm up seven or eight, I mean, sometimes the zone is good. I mean, when you're up seven or eight and you're trying to slow a team down, you can just kind of soft press back into a zone and now they have to 
maybe take a tough perimeter shot that might not go in. So there is definitely some value that we see in it and using it, but just goes back to those coaches are good at what they do and executing. So trying to make them adjust to us is something that I like to do as well. Yeah. And uh, let's do our biweekly call for the shot clock in Idaho. Let's do Let's get that done, <laughs> Idaho. Um, so what are two or three of your go-to defensive drills in practice? I mean, right off the top of my head, any four-on-four shell. I mean, we, we try to do a ton of that. I mean, we work a ton on switching handoffs and depending on the season, I mean, we'll guard ball screens differently, but we do that. We work on guarding guys one-on-one. I know Mike and the, the Coeur guys talk about doing the full court one-on-one, which we haven't necessarily done as much, but we're going to try to get to after listening to them. Um, <laughs> but we try to guard the ball in the half court one-on-one. We try to, we emphasize blocking out. I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about like, hey, you got to go hit that guy. You can't let him just run in um, and get rebounds. So, I mean, those are the things that we really try to emphasize. We're not trying to necessarily if you look up Middleton in the Idaho Statesman or whatever we never have very many guys that are first or second or third in steals or I mean we have some size so we do have some block shots but we're more of the concept of walling up um, and keeping the man from the hoop and making him shoot over the top of you so um, we spend a lot of time on -on one-on-one two-on-two that kind of stuff I mean two-on-two closeouts is something we do a ton as well so just those kinds of things that build a defense together I think when I was a student manager up at University of Idaho, Kirk Earlywine, who was an assistant for Don Berlin, they introduced their defense and they said, hey, we're building a house. It's not going to happen in one day or two days. It's going to take a while, but we're going to slowly build it. And those drills all come into play when you do that. I, I know this is a pretty typical question, uh, so I'm going to ask it. What do you teach on closeouts? We try to, we try to close out with two hands high. I think there was a stat, I don't know how long ago, that said if a guy, a guy in the NBA shoots the ball, if one hand's up compared to two hands, he's, le- he's 10% less likely to make the shot if you have two hands contesting it. So we always try to close out with two hands. We're not trying to close out right on top of his feet, and we're not forcing middle or baseline. We're closing out to square that guy up and to contain him. I just – I know that there are coaches that do it to the baseline or to the middle and then, and they're, those guys are effective in the way they do it. But we just, we try to close out hand high contest or to square the ball. All right. Uh, just uh, thought of a question here. I wanted to ask you, uh, especially kind of uh, with a younger staff, how, how much does analytics play into your decision-making and, and uh, what you decide to do? You know, it's something that I actually was messaging our huddle guy about the other day. I'd like to look more into how we can – I know that there's a way to do that. I need to figure it out computer-wise. I know that they stat a ton of different things. So I'm going to look into that. I think that the one thing for me is not necessarily – I know that the mid-range people critique it analytically as a bad shot. I think if it's not contested, it's not necessarily a bad shot. For me, it's shooting in rhythm shots. I mean, we try – to emphasize to our guys, like, let's just shoot as many in rhythm shots as possible and not dribble, 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 pull up, hand in my face, shoot. I mean, we don't do a lot of that. And we're trying to force other teams to take those types of shots. So obviously threes and layups, I mean, if we can get those, we really want to. But at the same time, I don't want to tell 
a kid who catches the ball in rhythm at the elbow, hey, you got to pass it back out. Because some of the zones in our league are designed to allow them to shoot that. So mm-hmm. it just depends on the situation. But, I mean, we play around with it. We talk about it a lot. Our JV coach, Johnny Holger, talks a ton about analytics, and it helps a ton. But, I mean, we're definitely trying to grow in that area. Uh, I got one more question for you. I really appreciate you being on uh, today. You've given uh, yeah. some great stuff. Uh, but you're hosting a, a tournament, and you've got some heavy hitters coming in from the 4A and 5A. Why did you decide to host a tournament this year? Well, Preston has their tournament down in eastern Idaho, and we went to that, and it was an awesome experience, three-day tournament. It, it has that state tournament feel where you're getting three games in three days, and if you win, you're in the semis and, and so on. So just that in itself, we like that preparation. And for us, it's an opportunity – to get some really, really good teams in our gym to both see them and compete with them. Um, and I wanted to get, I mean, we reached out to a ton of schools. We really wanted to have the best field possible. And whether we go one and two, oh, and three or three and oh, we wanted three quality games. Um, and I just felt, hey, if we host this tournament, we can get three quality games and we can sell it like that. Hey, everyone's getting three quality games if you guys come. Um, and we were fortunate that Post Falls in Rocky Mountain immediately we're wanting to get involved. So from there, it was really easy to sell the tournament because those guys, I mean, both Coach McLean and Coach Roy won a lot of games. So um, getting them to come made it a selling point for us. And then it's just something that I want to do in the future. I think it's awesome for Middleton's. Uh, they, they We really get a ton of fans to our game. So I think that the community will come around and really rally around and support that. And um, I think it's good for the state. I think getting schools across the state to play whether they're 5A, 4A, 3, whatever, I think it makes it more interesting. So I'm really looking forward to it, and it's something that I want to do in the future for sure. Yeah, I think uh, on my end, just hearing about it, I'm excited. And if there's a way to watch it, like I want to, I want to watch some of that basketball because there's going to be yeah. some some, some high-level uh, yeah. playing going on uh, for sure. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think uh, you also bring up a good point in trying to prepare yourself for the state tournament. You know, one of the things in Sandpoint, it's strange because we have to drive through two other states to get to our state tournament. Um, And then we have to stay in a hotel and stuff like that. So I'm always looking to get into a tournament where we actually get to stay in a hotel. So those kids have that experience before getting to state. Yeah. Well, I really thank you for coming on. It's been great. And uh, you know, I want to wish you good luck with uh, whatever summer season uh, you're able to put together. And then again next year and hopefully down the road, we can have you on again. For sure. Well, I, I really appreciate you having me on and I'm going to keep listening to these podcasts. It's awesome to hear uh, both you and these other coaches that have their, their opinions and their basketball knowledge. I mean, it's really great what you guys are doing. So. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast at gmail.com. 